This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Philemon. We'll be reading the whole letter uh, from verses 1 through 25. If you'd like to follow along the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 1,000. Page 1,000. The book of Philemon. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for, this, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this, own, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, let me just say a quick word for myself and for you guys. So, God, we again, we humbly come knowing there are truths in this word, um, 
that goes way beyond the words that I'm about, that I'm about to say. There are truths and there are things in your word that you want us to know and hear and be transformed by. And so I pray that that would happen. Your spirit would move and transform us, transform this community here, transform this church, transform the people in this room. It is for your glory and for your name's sake that we ask that you would do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for those of you who do not know who I am, I, 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 know, I'm, uh, I know many of you or some of you, half of you, um, but for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Stanley Chang, and I am the youth minister here. And so, um, as some of you might know or might not know, I grew up here. Um, I grew up at this church uh, ever since I was little. Uh, I think I saw, like, baby pictures of me in the parking lot, and I think this, this, uh, this sanctuary wasn't even here. Um, but, but ever since I came back here, um, I've been hearing a lot about how I was this rowdy little kid when I was, like, three or four or whatever. I don't know how, how old I was. Uh, apparently, I ran around a cafeteria. Uh, apparently, uh, I ran around the church, and Roy would be like, you know what, I'm going to tell your wife all about the stories of how you did this and did that, you know, as a little kid. I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, so I guess I was like that as a little kid, just running around and, and whatnot. And so, um, but this impression of me kind of, I guess, continued as I got older. And so, and as I grew older, I, I think we left to Fort Bend when I got planted. But then eventually in high school, I came back here my junior year and, um, and, and, I graduated, and when I graduated high school, um, during college, my college years, I volunteered as a middle school, as just like a middle school volunteer, uh, worked with the youth. And, um, uh, and so when I graduated from college, though, um, I applied to be the youth intern. Um, so that, was, that happened in about, what, um, like, sorry, 2006 or so. Um, but when I applied to be an intern, um, I heard other comments about myself. Um, I heard there were people kind of were maybe a little, uh, I guess they were hesitant about me, right? They'd be like, the guy with that hair, like, you know, like, so, so I guess my hair used to be like this or something, right? Like, I don't know. It, it was a little bit crazier back then. Um, it, it, I don't know. So I guess to some people, I was still a little bit immature or I was just, they weren't, they were hesitant about me. They didn't know, um, you know, like they just, you know, like. Can this really guy lead our youth if he's like a youth, right? right? If he's just as crazy, I don't know, right? And so, um, but thankfully, Pastor Fred, he, you know, he, he stood up for me, and he was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have his back. I'm going to take him in under my wings. I'm going to disciple him. I'm going to train him, you know? And, and so, and he did that, right? So it took, it took time for me to reform my image, right? It took time for people to see me in a different light, right? Like, it took time for, I mean, if anything, it took years, right? From I was four-year-old to probably, what, 25-year-old, 20 years for people to go, oh, yeah, I, I think we kind of like this guy maybe, right? Like, oh, okay, he's, he, he, he might be fit to be a youth. So, you know, thankfully enough, y'all hired me again seven years later. So, um, but re- normally we have impressions of people, right? Um, and, and sometimes our first impressions of people might be negative, right? Um, or just maybe not even first impressions, just our impression of people might be negative. And that, that takes time for us to kind of, for it to change sometimes, right? And I, I just think of myself, of uh, one of my best friends, like I hated him at the beginning, right? I didn't like him when I first met him. I didn't like him when we were into school together. But, 
but eventually he became my best friend, right? And eventually, um, you know, like, but it took time for, for me to go, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's not what I thought he was. He's different, right? And so in the same way, and thankfully, you know, like, it took time to, um, you know, for, for, I guess, people in this church to go, hey, I, like, he wasn't this crazy or, you know, this rowdy little kid anymore, you know, I, I, yeah, he might be, he is fit to be with youth. He is a fit to be uh, a youth minister and whatnot, right? But what we have here in the book of Philemon, or Philemon, that's not the case that's happening here, right? There's no, like, oh, you know, like, there's change over time. But, but what we see here is Paul is requesting Philemon um, to, receive Phile- uh, to receive Onesimus, like, immediately, right? There's no, hey, like, look at your impression of him, like, you know, like, just let him grow on you. No, 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 no. What, what we see here is Paul is requesting uh, um, to receive his own slave back. Um, and, and so, and the thing here is, Paul is requesting that Philemon request, uh, receive him on the basis of his newfound faith in Jesus. And that is his new identity uh, as a believer. And so, in this must, he doesn't need to prove himself, right? He doesn't need to prove that he's better than he was before, he doesn't need to right his wrong, right? But because of his newfound faith, there's an instant transformation because of his life in Christ. And so one thing that we need to see here in the kind of what the, the point of uh, this book of Philemon is that our vertical relationship, our, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God, it, it affects our horizontal relationships with each other in the church. And so that's what uh, Paul is wanting to get at. And that's what Paul is trying to say through this text. And so this is where we're going today. This is, we're going to talk about how our salvation transforms our fundamental identity. And because of our fund, uh, transformation, our fundamental identity, it, le- it leads to a radical love for each other. Right? So before we get there, I want to give a, a quick background of the book of Philemon, which will help us understand what is going on better in the book. And so guys, if you can, if you can turn to the book, if you're still there, um, Let's look at this passage. Um, so if you look at this, we, we kind of heard, we kind of know, if you know of anything, you know that Onesimus uh, is, he was a slave. He was a runaway slave, to be more specific, right? Um, we're not sure of why he ran away. Uh, we don't know where he ran to to meet Paul. Um, but what we do know, and then we see in verse 10, right? We see in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, right? So we know that Onesimus, he finds Paul and becomes a Christian through Paul's witness, right? And so because of that, Paul, you know, even though Paul, he wants to keep Onesimus with him, he knows that Onesimus should go back to Philemon. And so here, the book, he's, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon to, and makes a request. Um, his request is to accept Onesimus, no longer as a bond servant, but, but, but receive him as a beloved brother, right? Um, so we will see that in verse 16, to accept him no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother. So this is, the, this is what Paul, why Paul is writing, 
But to, to help us a little bit more to understand um, the depth of this request, to understand um, what exactly is going on or why this request is kind of a radical or, or, or a big request, um, we'll have to explain the picture of slavery in the Bible here. Um, so slavery was pretty common back then, right? Um, I, I think we need to take off our lens of slavery these days, of what we know and what we see. And we need to take those lenses of slavery. Um, we, we need to change it just a little bit, right? Um, because there are still some of the same things. But slavery was different back then. It was pretty common back then. Doesn't mean it was right, but it was common, right? Um, there were different kinds of slaves that, we, that the Bible has uh, in those times, right? You had slaves um, that, that kind of worked in the field, but also at the same time, this is kind of how we, we, we can see it differently. Like we had slaves who, um, slaves, they, they took care of their master's children. They took care of them and they even taught them, right? And so that begins to kind of change our little, our, our, our view of slavery. Like there's a little bit difference there, right? And so, um, and at the same time, um, slavery back then, to be free from slavery, right, to let them go was not necessarily always the good thing, right? Um, and so um, slaves were actually benefited uh, to, to stay under the care of their master, right? Because um, it, it would have been, sometimes it would have been hard for a slave to, to integrate back into, the, uh, back into the community or back into society. So actually, this is what we see happen here, happening here with Onesimus, right? So Paul calls Onesimus a bondservant. And that's, that's very important um, because a bondservant was someone who was a slave for a certain amount of time. In, in, in the Old Testament, it was about seven years, right? But after seven years, a, when a, a servant, a slave, they would be set free. And then it is at that point the slave can choose whether to stay and become a bondservant. So that's what's going on here as, uh, as why Paul calls them bondservants, right? If the servant declares, in Exodus 21, it says, if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or to the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Right? And so, so they're, they have great masters, right? Um, they have, you know, they're, they're better taken care of by this master, right? And so we, that's why we see a little bit difference in, in this master-slave relationship, right? Um, they, they had a different relationship as, as you normally think you would, uh, you would think you, between a master and slave, right? Or as I mentioned before, uh, it was not always a positive thing to be uh, freed, right? So, so we can see Philemon was probably a good master, right? Uh, we, we, we do see Paul spoke very highly of Philemon in this chapter, right? Or in this book. So at the same time, though, at the same time, while there's this picture of, hey, like, slavery is a little bit different than what we're used to, but there, there still is a tension um, of slavery. Like, slavery was still not okay. Why? Because there was this master and slave relationship, right? There we, we, we see that there's one person being over the other person. And so slavery still had this dehumanizing tone to it. So this is where it gets a little confusing, right? Uh, but I think as we, uh, as we tackle and handle this situation, or handle this confusion, um, this situation, it, it helps us understand Paul's request even more. Paul doesn't call for Philemon, uh, Paul doesn't call Philemon to, to free Onesimus, right? He doesn't ask him to free him from slavery uh, as you think he would, right? 
Um, if it's not okay, then Paul, why don't you free him? Why don't you ask for his freedom? Right? Like, like, like speak against it. Right? But even in, it's weird, because even in Ephesians 6, we, he tells bond servants to, to, to obey their earthly masters. So the big thing here is Paul is trying, what Paul is doing is he is trying to show that there is a deeper importance here. And that importance is the new reality in Christ that believers leave in. Right? And so because Paul doesn't tackle that tension, because Paul doesn't ask for Onesimus' freedom, he is trying to say, you know what? There is something that's greater. There is something of more relevance and more importance, and that is this new realm of we live in as, new belie- as believers. So because of this, Paul makes a radical request of Philemon. He asks this radical request. He goes, one, and so, so one more thing we need to know about slavery is that um, runaway slaves or, or fugitive slaves, they are deserving of death, right? And so this is so critical, right? It's critical, it's critical because Paul writes this letter to ask Rephalimon to receive Onesimus back as a brother. So he's asking, don't kill him even if he deserves to be killed. But just receive him back. Receive him back. Do, and what he's saying here is what? Again, he's talking about the realm of what's more important is this realm of this new reality that we're in Christ. And so what he's saying to do is, says, do what the world um, is, is not expecting you to do. Live differently than what this world will expect you to do. Right? Receive him back. Don't kill, don't, don't send him to his death. What's more important is your witness to the world, right? He's saying what's more important than you righting the wrongs is, 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 is your witness to the world. It's not about your rights. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you deserve, but it's about your witness to the world. The world would have assumed Onesimus' death, but Philemon, he could forgive and be radically different from the world. So the question is, how can Paul make this radical request? How can Paul make this radical request? Because if you understand, uh, I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago when Jason, I think it was Jason who talked, he, he mentioned, you know what, like, like the, the earthly, um, I guess the earthly authorities and the earthly penalties and, and the consequences, they, they should still be intact. So what is Paul's basis for this request? And so as we move forward, as we talked about, our vertical relationship uh, affects our horizontal relationships, right? Um, I think Leon Crump makes a beautiful statement. He says, the beauty of imputation leads to the beauty of reconciliation, right? And so what we'll see, and that's what we'll talk about now, is this whole idea of imputation. And that's our, sec- that's our first point, right? Christian salvation transforms our fundamental identity, and so what we see here, right, let's, let's just kind of see the different things. If you were able to read, if you kind of remember the different things, and I'll point them out, Paul argues for five things that happens with Onesimus, right? Um, five things happened to him when he became a Christian. So look with me, right? In verse 10, verse 10, we see it here. Verse 10, I appeal to you, my, my child, I, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So first thing that happened to Onesimus because of his, when he became a Christian is he became, he becomes family, right? And the second thing, let's see uh, in verse 11, 
right? Verse 11 to 13, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you, to me, right? And so one here, he goes, he is useless, and now he is useful, right? So he was not a family, now he's family, useless to useful, right? In verse 16, as we have already read, right? Receiving no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, right? Receive him as a brother. And so again, with the family, brought bondservant to brother, verses 17 through 19, right? Uh, Verses 17, first, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me, Right, and so here there's this idea of, hey, receive him as your, as your partner. Like, I'm your partner and he will be your partner, right? And so, so we see that one fourth thing. And then the fifth thing here, right, it says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing of your owing to me, uh, owing me, even your own self. So we see the five things, right? He was not family. He was outside the family. Now he has become family, right? He was not, he was a bondservant, but now he's your brother, right? He was useless, and now he's useful, right? He, he was in debt, and now his debt is paid in full. And so there's this radical identity that has changed for Onesimus. Like, there's this radical identity that has changed. And so Paul is, is asking Philemon, to see Onesimus for who he is now. He's different. Don't see Onesimus as his, old, as his fugitive slave. Don't see Onesimus as his old self. But what he's saying is Philemon's identity, uh, Philemon, um, uh, sorry, Onesimus' identity, he immediately transformed when he became a Christian. And so Paul is asking a lot from Philemon. Uh, if I heard, like, the, the, the phrase I, I read was unparalleled generosity, right? Paul's asking a lot from him, right? He was he's considered brotherhood over a fugitive slave, right? I mean, if anything, to go even beyond that, right, there is no more master-slave, right? It, it's just being on the same side. It's not, it's not about being one side or the other. It's not about master-slave, but rather what happens is he... Um, what Paul is saying, hey, Anisbus has been brought up to the master's level. There's no more over or under, but rather they're on the same level because of this new reality in Jesus Christ. There is, you're on the same level because of your new identity. You're on the same level because your, your, your identity, your fundamental identity has been transformed. It's not even just, you know, you're on one side or the other, but rather it's you're, you're taken from the top to the bottom but, and you're brought to the same level. There is a lot of forgiveness that is forgiven. And as a runaway slave, you know, Onesimus, he feared seeing death and punishment, but he's free from that penalty, all because of this transformation in Jesus Christ. So what exactly is this transformation? Like, what happened? Like, what sparked that trans- transformation? And so um, in the youth group, I, I, I like to always... I like to push this. I, I, I usually ask, hey, you know what? Like, like, what do you think the gospel is? What is the gospel, right? And I always ask them, hey, you know what? If we went upstairs to Awan, you know, the children's, the children's ministry, um, 
And if you ask them, what is the gospel, you know, I try to kind of go, try to have them think, hey, yeah, like, what would a third grader say what the gospel is? And they might say, you know what, it's, um, it's, it's Jesus dying, right? And, it's, uh, and that's great, right? That's some foundation. And, 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 and I ask usually, okay, what about you as a ninth grader or as an eighth grader, what do you say what the gospel is, right? And a lot of times they'll say, yeah, it's Jesus dying for my sins or like, you know, Jesus you know, it is a way to get into heaven, right? And so there's this, I, you know, but what I try to say and what I want to always push is that what? It's, it's more than just Jesus dying for your sins, right? And, and I'm going to throw out this one term. It's called double imputation, right? Um, I think this is super important, and I think because a lot of times we only think of one imputation, a single imputation. We usually think of when we hear the word gospel, we usually go, Jesus died for my sins, and our sins were imputed onto Christ. And so that, that's true, and that, but that's not it, right? And I think that's great, and that's awesome. Our sins were imputed onto Christ, but that's not only what happened. And so this idea of double imputation is this idea of, hey, yeah, our sins were imputed onto Christ, but at the same time, it says that Christ's righteousness and Christ and his perfect life and who he is is imputed into us, is unto us. Like we get Christ's righteousness, right? In Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So there is this one, one imputation of our, Jesus gets our sin, but as secondly, we get Christ's righteousness. And I think this is super important because we get transformed into who Christ, uh, into, uh, we get his identity in that, right? When, when God sees you, does he see you in your sin? He sees your sin, but what? But, but, but what? He still accepts you because he sees Christ. And I think this is super important because why? Because, because, because of who Christ is and because of his identity, because he is an heir, we become an heir. Because he is the son of God, we become the sons and daughters of God. Because he has all the blessings of God, we get those blessings of God. Because Christ is accepted. Because Christ is, is God's son. And, and because of that, God will not leave his son. And so God cannot leave us. So we talked about this whole idea of, hey, here's, here's Philemon and here's, here's, here's Onesimus. And that how he was brought to the same level. So in the same way, do you guys understand what happened to us? Christ in his perfection. Christ in his righteousness. Christ in his perfect life and who he is and his heir and his blessings and everything that he has being the son and what happens to us. Sinner like us. It's brought up to the level of Christ, not because of what we have done, not because of who we are, but because of his righteousness. We get to brought, we, as slaves, we get brought up to the master's level. Do you guys see that? That is our, trans, that is our identity. That is a transformation in our identity. Maybe some of you, maybe there's some of you in here, you know what, You're, you feel far off from God. Maybe you guys feel like, you know what, I just, man, I messed up this week, or I just, 
I haven't been here for a long time. Man, I, I just, I don't get it. I, I haven't been praying. You know, we feel far off from God. And I'm going to say you're not. I'm going to say you're not far off from God. You know, a lot of times I like to ask a question to the youth. Hey, you know what? Like, what do you feel when you sin? What do you feel when, you're, when, you, when you fall short in your sin? A lot of times the answer is, yeah, I, I feel guilt, or I feel shame, or I feel bad, I feel this. And usually that, those are the top answers, and, and my response is this, no guilt. You, don't, you should not feel any guilt. You should not feel any shame. There's no condemnation, right? The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But why do we still feel condemnation? Why do we still feel shame? Why do we still feel that when we, we have to understand? God cannot disown you guys. God is not far off because why? God, does that, has, God cannot abandon his son Jesus Christ so he cannot abandon you. Do you understand this? You might feel far away, but God has kept his son with him. God is there with him. And so God cannot disown you because he cannot disown Jesus Christ. In the same way for those of you who are fathers and mothers in here, right, you would never disown your child. You may feel like you want to sometimes, right, frustrated. But you won't. As rebellious as they are sometimes, you won't disown them. As rebellious as they are sometimes, you're not going to be like, all right, I'm leaving this house, or I'm going to put you out to the street. That's not going to happen. You and I, we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, right, which fundamentally changes our transfer, fundamentally transforms our identity, and that's how God sees us. So you have to see this. You have to see this. Why is there no condemnation? Why should you not feel guilty? Because what? Jesus has taken care of that on the cross, and there is no condemnation for you because Christ, because God sees you, and God sees you, he sees Christ. And so we have to understand, this is how God sees us. And when God sees us, we are his son and his daughter. When God sees us, we are forgiven. When God sees us, we're free from sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin, but we're free from it. God sees us like this. So the thing is, if God sees us like this, then this is the way we must view each other. And this is what happens to us. So Christian salvation, this is the second point. Christian salvation produces a radical love for all the saints. A Christian salvation produces a radical love for all the saints. The beauty, again, the beauty of imputation leads to the beauty of reconciliation. Right? In verse 5, let's look at verse 5. Because I have heard of your love and your faith you have toward the Lord and for all the saints. Right? And so what, God, what Paul is saying, I heard of your love and I heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. Right? It kind of reads weird, but that is his point. So, so what, we, what Paul uses the word all saints here, right? Paul could have said love for the saints, but Paul says, hey, your love for all the saints. Right? Again, Paul is appealing to Philemon's love for all the saints to make his request. Because if, if, if Philemon got to choose, you know, which which saints he got to love, then maybe, maybe Philemon didn't, wouldn't have to obey and wouldn't have to follow through with the request. 
but we know that Philemon has followed with, through with his request, right? It's speculated that he did. Why? Because otherwise this letter would not have been circulated, right? And otherwise, you know, we know that Paul kind of included the few names in the beginning because this letter was sent to them in the church, right? And so we know we, it, is, it is thought of as Philemon did follow through with this request of accepting Onesimus as his brother. So we have to ask, why all the saints? Because well, already we said, if God sees all of us, if this is how God sees all of us, then that's the way that we need to start seeing each other. And so what I need to want to point out is I think our lack of love for all the saints, and I think our lack of love for the saints exposes our self-righteousness. I think our lack of love exposes our right, or you know, just our lack of love exposes our self-righteousness. Because if the Holy One, the righteous one who God, who forgives sinners, um, if, if God is the one who forgives sinners, and then we who are not you know, righteous and we who are not you know, perfect, if we cannot forgive our brothers and sisters, it doesn't make any sense, right? There's a disconnect there. The only way that we can even think about not forgiving others, the only way that we can even think about not loving all the saints is that if we have a righteousness that is greater than that of God's. And obviously we don't. So our lack of love for all the saints exposes our self-righteousness. The gospel does not discriminate Right? The gospel does not discriminate because all who confess will believe and will, all who confess and believe will repent. It doesn't matter who or what they have done. They come and be transformed and they are forgiven. If God sees us as sons and daughters forgiven people, why do we see each other differently? If God sees us this way, why do we see each other in this way? Has not Christ taken care of that brother's or sister's sins that, that, and that, that you're still holding against them? Right? Why can't you accept them when God has accepted them? Why can't you forgive their sins even though God has forgiven their sins? Why are we still holding sins against people when it's not even there, when they should be free? They, they are no, there's no condemnation. As Christians, we proclaim a gospel that saves sinners. And repents and frees from, right? And you said, yet sometimes our actions do not reflect the gospel. And that's our self-righteousness. If we proclaim that Jesus forgives and God forgives the sinner and it doesn't matter who and why, and we, if, we act, if we act differently, we're not acting according to the gospel that we proclaim. We're not showing the acceptance that Christ has, the acceptance that Christ shows. You know, I was discussing um, with Christine earlier this week, and we were just talking about the idea of forgiveness and the idea of, of you know, like accepting people back. And, you know, usually we kind of think of, usually we kind of think of, hey, you know what, like, we wish that people would, you know, they, they would just, you know, repent, you know, and, and then it's easier to forgive them. Oh, we, we want them to reform, and then it's easier to receive them, right? We want them to right the wrongs, and it's, then it's easier to receive them, right? It's usually, hey, show me some change first, and show me that you're better, and then we'll receive you. Be different, and then we'll receive you. Be like us, and then we will receive you. 
but Christ dies for us while we, while you, while we were yet still sinners. They don't need to be different because they already are. Our brothers and sisters do not need to be different because they already are in Christ Jesus. They have been transformed. We must show them love because God has forgiven them and God has forgiven. We may live, may we live in such a way that reflects the gospel that has saved us. So our being adopted, and I'm going to close with this, our being adopted in the family of God is only the beginning. Us being, being adopted in this sonship, in this transformation, that's only the beginning. One last thing, take a look with me in, verse, um, in verse, uh, verses 6 through 7. Verses 6 through 7. In verses 6 through 7, this is, this is our sonship and our adoption, our transform identity is only beginning. It says in verse 6, and it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Every good thing, to be to full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. As we live out this faith, as we live out our love, as we, as, as we live out this, this, uh, this love that God has called us to, this is only the beginning. And then only as we begin to love, this is, this is the beginning of all that we have in Christ, right? So we have access to Christ and all that, that Christ has and is. And picture this, and this is the picture that Paul is trying to paint. Wouldn't it be refreshing if we began to live out the kindness of Christ in this room? Wouldn't it be refreshing if we began to show the kindness and patience that Christ showed? Wouldn't it be refreshing if we began to, to live and, and, you know, and, and, you know, as Christ lived and comforted the broken? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be refreshing if we did that? And wouldn't it be refreshing if people started serving when they did, they, you know, in ways that they would never have thought they would serve? And they just, we, we see people sacrificing. We see people giving up their lives. We see people, you know, they're, they're, they're tired and they're, you know, like they're tired from work. They're tired from life. But yet they, they're still loving everyone else. Wouldn't it be refreshing to see this love lived out, this love that we have in Christ, this love that Christ has shown, this love and the blessings that Christ has. And so, so this is what Paul is saying, oh, the fullness and the everything that we have in Christ. If this room were lived out like that, if, if all the blessings, everything about Christ became something we lived our life around, wouldn't that be refreshing? And I think we all want to be refreshed. And I think some of us might, might need to be refreshed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. Pray that you would, pray that you reveal to us who we are and our new identity in you. But I pray it also because of all these things, that we would see each other in the new light, that we would see each other and receive each other because of all that you have done through us in Christ. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his love. Thank you for everything that you have. In Jesus' name I pray.